No, go ahead, talk. <laughs> Say, you're listening to the Word Bros Podcast. No. Do it. No. Do it. <laughs> Say, you're listening to the Word Bros Podcast. <laughs> Do it. <laughs> you're listening to the Word Bros Podcast. The WordBros.com. This week on War Bros, we talked to the very talented, very charming mate from uh, from the UK, Monty, 006. 006. Monty Nero. Monty Nero. Good dude, man. We're excited to have him on. Um, he he was excited to be on. He's got this Kickstarter for his book. That Frenemies, is, yeah. That is called Frenemies. That's on Kickstarter right now. So you can check that out. We had a nice conversation with Monty. So here it is. Let's listen to Monty Nero together. Nero, if that's your real name, which I don't believe for a second. <laughs> is that a pen name or is that your real name, Monty? No, the Nero's are uh, from uh, Greece. Where, ah. uh, yeah, it's, um, it's quite common, actually, if you look over in that way. Really? Yeah. Okay, so you're, but that's clearly not your real name, is it, Monty? Montgomery. <laughs> I yeah. love that name. That's a great Montgomery. name. That's my first name. Montgomery. So your first name, your first name is really Montgomery. How is that walking around with a name like that? You like you like Montgomery? People call me Monty, so you know that's that's cool. Yeah, uh, <laughs> I know it's in America. People spell it with an E. I don't know why. Uh, like the first Marvel comic I did, they spelled it with an E, and I'm like, what? And then I notice a lot of people when they do interviews with me in America, they spell it with an E. Why is that? What's this? So where? So it's what M O N T E Y, right? You yeah, got no yeah. E. M O N T Y N E R O, which is all one word on Twitter. Okay. Or two different words on Facebook. Because when my wife and I were going to have our first child, we have two now. Um, one of the names when we were first pregnant, if we were going to have a boy, it was going to be a long, hard fight. Was going to be Montgomery because I love that name. I think yeah. it's a wonderful name. Oh, um, I lost, so we have a, so a daughter named Sophie and a son named after my dad who passed away. But my yeah. first published comic book work is a dinosaur named Monty. So that's oh, how wow. I got Ooh. to work my name in there. But Monty's a great name. That's why I asked. Yeah. yeah. I also, think, I think it's I think Greek. Go ahead. Sorry, go on. No, no, it's your show. I want, I want um, you to be able to say I, that. I think that is the correct way to approach things. If your wife has just been through, I don't know, 36 <laughs> hours of labor or whatever, and you're, you're saying like, okay, what should we call this baby? And she says, Sophie. And you say, no, it must be Montgomery. <laughs> that's, that's not- well, to be fair, Monty, at that point, if it was, uh, it would, Monty would be a tough name for a kid that identified as a female. <laughs> that would be a, that would be a tough one. Like Montgomery would be. It would be. It sounds like a Johnny Cash song or something. Like yeah, uh, yeah, you know, totally, yeah, a girl yeah. named Montgomery or something. That we, yeah. <laughs> you know, and I don't want anybody with that. I think yeah. it's great because Monty Nero sounds like a perfect like double O name. Yeah, like, Nero Monty yeah. Nero. Uh, <laughs> see, it's it's awesome. You know, I, I dig it. You're like double O six. You know, right it's got those vibes. Yeah, it's great. I I love it. 
So you've got this Kickstarter running right now, Monty. Yes. Um, it is called Frenemies, The Frenemies. Lost Planets, Volume 1 and 2, Explosive yep. Science Fiction Fantasy. How can we not go wrong with that? So tell us, what is this book about? What is Frenemies all about here? Well, it's about seven rivals and they're searching for a mysterious lost planet that will destroy the solar system unless one of them can find it. Um, so the aliens are so advanced that their quantum technology looks to us like dark magic. And we focus on the alien technology and how it transforms the seven rivals in their quest. So only one of them can reach the lost planet. So do they cooperate with each other to make sure one of them makes it or do they subtly start to fuck each other up? Or can they do both? So that's where the frenemies aspect comes from. It's basically a sci-fi fantasy in a sort of uh, Flash Gordon mold, Ooh. but kind of updated with some very sort of modern characters, a lot of LGBT characters, a lot of progressive ideas, a lot of sex, a lot of action, a lot of jokes. Uh, it's got everything you want in a science fiction. It's got, you know, laser battles and spaceships and all the cool shit that we want. But you can't just do that stuff because it just looks like Flash Gordon or it looks like Star Wars. You've got to have a load of cool new ideas to make it really exciting. So that's what we've got with this comic. Um, and it's kind of like the central dynamic is all about is your best friend your worst enemy when the fate of the solar system is at stake? Listen to that. I, I like that description. It sounds like you've been practicing that for quite some time. You got that thing down pat, huh? This is not my first interview. <laughs> <laughs> now, it's funny that you mentioned like the differences, the things you have to do to kind of break that, that mold of Star Wars Flash Gordon. So what are some of the techniques you use to kind of get out of that kind of tropey science fiction vibe? I'll be real with you. It was hard because mm. um, I love all that stuff. And uh, you want to have... If you're reading that kind of thing, you want to have those things in it because uh, otherwise you're just going to be disappointed. So then it's like, well, how do I make it fresh? How do I make it new? So um, the key to me it was the characters. So we've got seven characters and they're all different and um, they're all conflicting. So they all kind of, um, kind of riff off each other and um, wind each other up and they have relationships with each other. They sleep with each other. There's all kinds of dynamics, power dynamics between the group. Um, and I found that just working on that and working on the development of the characters and how their um, rivalries would kind of progress, um, that just made it all really fresh. Um, and then when I go into like developing the story and we meet the villain, who's just an amazing villain. She's called the Marchioness. And uh, she's kind of like a mix of Darth Vader and um, oh, Zoltar out of uh, Battle of the Planets. Okay. No, 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 sorry, sorry. And um, she's, she's basically um, got this big long cape. She's got like six tendrils that hold laser swords. Um, she's like very sexy. Um, and uh, the tendrils have kind of like um, fingers. If you imagine like a clawed taloned hand on the end of this tendril with a fanged mouth in the palm, Oh, wow. um, so they're kind of like they can wield stuff, but they can also eat your face. So, so that makes your interrogation <laughs> techniques very effective. So, so uh, this design for the characters, um, the way they look as well is quite fresh. Uh, 
I'm a character designer by trade. That's what I did before I got into making comics. And then 10 years ago, I started writing comics. And uh, first thing I wrote was Death Sentence, and that went really well. Uh, that led to me getting work with Marvel and people like that. So um, I always approach things from the point of view of designing a really interesting, original looking character first. And then everything else kind of like fits in around it. Because let's be honest, all the laser battle stuff and all the exciting space, you know, spaceships. And that's the easy stuff. It's, it's kind of making it fresh that's hard. Mm. So when, when you approached the project, did you, did you come at it from a perspective of character design and character first or plot always, and story yeah. first? Okay. Always, okay. always character. Um, story is actually very easy. When you get into the science of writing, if you've studied it like I have, um, it takes a while to study it and to learn it. But basically, you can learn how to tell a good story. Like, you can learn how to do mathematics. It's basically just, like, learning the principles, studying the work of other writers. There's a lot of books about it, you know, screenwriting books and stuff. Mm. So you can learn that stuff. Um, you can't follow it like a formula. You have to kind of bring your own originality and make it fresh and uh, surprise people. Because we all watch the same films. We all see the same, t same TV shows. We all read the same comics. So we have an expectation of what a story is going to be. And we can predict things before they happen. So you always have to play with people's expectations and sort of like uh, really mix it up. And I'm always doing that. I'm always thinking like, what can I do in this scene? I know what has to happen in this scene. We're going to meet the villain or whatever. But how can I play this so that it's like something no one's seen before? That's what I'm always trying to do with my work. Every scene. I want to flip it in a way that you're not expecting. Mm. So, so um, that is, uh, is, is uh, like a craft that you learn. Um, and then uh, the character design part of it, um, that's where you can be really original and kind of, um, kind of just go to places no one else has gone. Um, but again, that comes with practice. There's like principles you can apply to character design that always seem to work. Um, I tend to make I think of like three different things that have never been mixed together, mm. um, styles, or, or and then I sort of blend them. But there's a kind of a, a way of doing that where if you just put three together equally, it will look like a mess. But if you put like <laughs> one, if you put one, one dominant, the other kind of like secondary, and the third is just like a little bit of a like tickle, then then you get a really really start to get some interesting designs. And I've used that a lot in designs for computer games and designs for comic characters. That's cool. Now you said you were so, so when you go and you're looking for an artist, um, yeah. you bring them the character designs and say like, this is what I want the character to look like because of your background in character design. Has there been any like pushback from artists? Like what the fuck does this guy know? Or is it, yeah. has it always kind of worked very seamlessly together? It depends. Um, often I have the characters designed. So on death sentence, the first thing I did was paint all the characters. Oh, wow. The paintings of the characters are what ended up being on the covers. So if you look at the first six covers, every single one has one of those paintings on it somewhere. So I just kind of like took the concept art and then like added a background or something. So um, I, I used to work as a concept designer. So, you know, I can do that. And if you're making independent comics, it's really handy because it means you don't have to pay a cover artist. <laughs> uh, that is you know the amount you sell when you're you're starting off with independent comics that's important you know any any way you can cut costs like that is is cool so um and also the comic 
the characters were what was selling the comic. You know, you saw the characters and you wanted to buy the comic. That was how I approached it. Very much it so. That's how it worked. So <laughs> now, in that sense, I've got a painting that kind of looks amazing. Uh, I show it to an artist and they love the character. So they just want to, they want to draw the comic. So it wasn't like a difficult discussion or anything. How other, you times, go- other times I don't have a design or haven't had time to do it or um, whatever. So, um, so um, it's not a problem then because obviously, you know, that needs doing and, and they're the artist on it. I think because I'm an artist too, I'm good at respecting the boundaries. So like, you know, I would never, I would never, um, you know, you're hiring these people basically because they're better than you are at drawing. <laughs> so you got you got to uh, respect them and, and and listen to what they want to do. Uh, with Yishan on Frenemies, who's uh, she's a manga style artist from uh, Shanghai, and um, you know we were friendly anyway. I knew she was an amazing artist, and I knew her talent, her particular skill, was doing incredible characters and incredible character designs. So um, I just described the characters to her. I had like sort of like a paragraph for each one. And I knew exactly what I wanted. I wanted uh, this kind of like mix between science fiction, Dungeons and Dragons and cosplay, which Mm. is like I said, comes back to the three things kind of strategy that I mentioned. So um, I had that kind of like, you know, verbally described as to what I wanted, but I wasn't too specific with each character. I just told her to, to, you know, go with it. And because of who she is, literally like the first designs she came back were all mind-blowingly good because um, that's what she does, you know, that's her skill. That's why I wanted to get her on this book because I knew she'd be perfect for it. Now, how do you normally go about finding artists for your projects? Do you, do you just have like a list of people that you're following on social media and you kind of reach out to them based on the project or how does that work for you, Monty? No, that's an interesting point. I find uh, it's very important to work with friends and it's very important to work with people that you have a relationship with outside of uh, making the comic. Um, so I've never worked with anybody that I've just approached cold uh, really? or, or met cold um, online or anything like that. Um, I think it can work short term and I'm sure there's people that have made it work, but uh, with me, I've always found it's very important to have uh, a relationship that is beyond the work that you're doing and the comic that you're making because, um, you know, making comics is tough. And, <coughs> and always going to be, there's always going to be points where um, there's some sort of issue. And it's often not even of your making, it's something to do with what the editor is doing or it's something to do with what the publicity department have done or you know, there's some some friction that's, that's thrown up. And unless you've got that relationship where you can just kind of like chat to each other and uh, sort it out and be cool with each other, um, it doesn't tend to work. Um, you've always got to pay artists well. Um, I think that's problem <laughs> people have. They don't pay their artists well. So, you know, quite understandably, after a few months, the artist goes and does something that pays. Um, if they're good, which is what you want, they're going to be getting offers very quickly uh, when your comic comes out. So even if you get a couple of issues out, they're going to leave because um, you know they're, they're really good and you're not paying them. So so uh, you need to pay them. Um, as an example, Mike Dowling, who was drawing Death Sentence, he got an offer to do the Ninja Turtles about halfway through the book because people loved what he was doing on my book. And um, he... Uh, he uh, really wanted to do that because, you know, he was a massive Ninja Turtles fan. It was his dream gig. He read the Ninja Turtles as a kid. And, uh, you know, but because I was paying him properly and he knew that this 
you know, comic when it came out and got collected as a graphic novel, it would be, you know, really big. Um, he stayed and he finished the book. And as a result, you know, that worked out really well for both of us. That's awesome. Mm -hmm. And so, and it landed you a gig at Marvel and I'm looking at the Marvel website here and I see to your, I see to your credit, you have an X-Men gold annual, which is the 30th anniversary of the Excalibur reunion. You got to write an Excalibur book? No, no, I was in that annual. I wrote a story that was called Why I Love the X-Men. And it's basically, well, as it, as it says, it's basically, uh, it's a really nice story, actually. It's, it's, um, it's got sort of like the, the core team in and it, uh, it basically works in everything that I wanted to say about the X-Men into a really sort of um, exciting story. And uh, I managed to get my daughter and my sister into the comic as well. So they're, cool. now, they're now very minor parts of the uh, Marvel Universe. So um, I was very happy with that. And then I, I did another X-Men annual that was um, Storm. It was all Storm, um, which was good because I like Storm. She's my favorite, one of my favorite characters. Um, and then I did the Hulk as well, which was um, really cool. Got to destroy Vancouver in that one, which was oh. excellent because I used to live in Vancouver. So it was a lot of fun. Um, messing that up and uh, that was drawn by a lot of my favorite artists as well Luke Ross Mark Lamming um so uh yeah that that was really cool um yeah and that all happened just because people liked death sentence um literally they just they just emailed me out of the blue and said like we really love your comment do you want to pitch us some ideas and I was like yeah that's <laughs> cool so what happened is you did a great book death sentence then people emailed you and said hey what city do you want Hulk to destroy? And then you just got to pick any <laughs> random city. That's awesome. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it was cool. Yeah, it was. Uh, it was. It was a lot of fun to do. Now, did you pick Vancouver specifically because you live there, or was that? <laughs> yeah, I think it helps with the geography. I think, like you know, both those stories I just mentioned, the X Men one and um, X Men ones in New York, and then the Hulk one. You've got the characters running around the city, and uh, they're they're they're, they're they're fighting people and they need to get quickly from one location to another and uh, it's important I think to have a sense of the geography so um, you get it you get it all right and you make it work and also I think it's really important to get atmosphere and tone and uh, each city and place has its own atmosphere that uh, adds a lot to a story do you know what I mean it's mm -hmm. like a big part of the personality of the story is the the location and the, the feeling of it so I think uh, you definitely need to be sort of familiar with that. I, it really doesn't work. You get, get a, a lot of, uh, especially American writers, they write Scottish locations or they write British locations and they're just so off. It's, uh, <laughs> it's just really painful to read. So um, yeah, it's, uh, it's a big part of it, I think, to actually know what you're writing about. So then as someone who has created their own universe. Is it easier to kind of create your own universe and write in that, like with frenemies, because you're not bound to, I guess, specific locations. Yeah. Like you could just kind of make up your own. <clears throat> One of the things I've always thought was cool about Batman, like they can do whatever they want with Gotham and they certainly have. Um, yeah. There's like a swampland in Gotham where Killer Croc yeah. lives, you know? So like they can kind of do whatever they need to do basically, you know? Yeah, yeah. Um, I think it's actually easier to write other stuff because um you've read you've read it all and you you're familiar with it and you know you know how it works i mean you can always add things uh, as you need to um but you've got that kind of framework that's already pre-existing in your head and in the reader's head 
so there's a lot of you don't have to explain a lot of stuff because it's all kind of shorthand you know people know you know um so yeah i think it's actually easier to do the pre-existing stuff and um, when you write when you write your own stuff there's just a lot of groundwork to do before you get to the scenes and the script to flesh out the whole world and all the characters and their backstories and where they're going to go and you know the universe and how all the technology works and the, all that kind of stuff you end up with loads more ideas than you can fit in a comic and part of the trick of good writing is actually to just choose the really most key and important parts of the story and and, and highlight those um you want to start you always want to start a story as close to the end as possible and you want it to concern <laughs> the most important uh thing that happened in that character's life if you're not writing about that then you're writing the wrong bit of the story you know what i mean so so you have to sort of figure all that out beforehand but you end That's up with all this stuff and you're like well i've got all this all this all these ideas so so what we did with uh the kickstarter on uh, frenemies the lost planet was i did a little short a cliffhanger story every day every weekday monday to friday and released it on the site so that people could kind of read that instead of the normal stuff about oh this is how much we've raised and these are the rewards or whatever uh just get you know something creative like a new story and uh keep people excited show them something new explain more about the characters show them more of the world show them scenes that tie in with scenes in the comic but um shed a new light on things um, all that kind of stuff. So um, that was a lot of fun for me and a lot of fun for the uh, backers as well. That's cool. I dig that. That's a cool way to use your Kickstarter time as mm. opposed to just begging people for money like you can kind of world build in your own Kickstarter uh, campaign. That's kind. Of, that's very smart. It's fun. Yeah, it's a lot of fun. I think uh, people like it for the entertainment factor. It surprised me when I first did a Kickstarter. I thought people would just, you know, back and then leave and then wait for the comic but um they really want to chat and they want to sort of get involved and um they want to be entertained every day they want to you know see something new or hear something new so i think um turning the whole kickstarter into a story just like one long story um everything about it is fictional so um as soon as you come on the site it just immediately goes into this story and uh, the idea is that we're raising money to rebuild the eye of stars which is a sort of um way of transporting the uh, characters um, to the hidden universe uh, within dark matter that they get trapped within. So um, yeah, we're, we're trying to rebuild this this device and uh, raise money for the laboratory to do that. And um, you do that by, by, uh, by buying these comics and these prints and stuff. And uh, it was really fun, but I did worry. I thought, God, I hope no one complained. <laughs> You know what I mean? Because you're not supposed to do Kickstarters to build laboratories. So I was thinking, like, I hope nobody genuinely comes onto it who doesn't get it and then starts complaining and we get shut down or something. <laughs> Where, where's the laboratory we're supposed to get? Yeah, this, I mean, is, uh, this is horseshit. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I got yeah. a comic. I didn't get a laboratory. What's going on here, man? <laughs> <laughs> well, that's awesome. So, I mean, so you're, it looks like you are currently, as we record this, you are funded. So that's always nice, right? Yeah. Has, has being funded kind of made you take the, your foot off the gas a little bit? Have you, you been able to relax? Yeah. Or yeah, are you, are you still like, you know, we, we got to get to a little bit more because we, there's a couple more things I want to do. Um, you can never relax with it. Um, and you yeah, always you're wanna, right there. <laughs> you always want to, I think as you go on, you know, we're on the, heading towards the fourth uh, stretch goal now. 
So you, you just, um, you're aware that you've made more than you needed initially and you don't want to rip anyone off. So right. that's why um, I'm giving people these stories every day and we're giving people new stretch goals, you know, regularly so that they're getting extra stuff all the time as it kind of uh, mounts up. Um, and uh, yeah, it, it is quite stressful because um, obviously, you know, the main thing I want to do is make the comics. So I'm always making the comics, you know, behind the scenes. I'm always getting them ready for printing and, you know, writing new scripts and doing new artwork and painting covers and, you know, editing stuff. So there's a lot of work going on anyway. Plus you've got to kind of keep everybody um, engaged and happy on the, on the Kickstarter. Um, get the get all the rewards ordered and sort of designed and stuff. So um, there is a lot to it, um, but it's very enjoyable because you can have that close relationship with all your readers, and you can have like you know chats about stuff, and um, you know it feels like um, very personal. I, I said to somebody the other day in an interview, you know, I think the biggest selling Marvel book I did was about sixty eight thousand copies, but. Um, of those 68,000 people, I've probably spoke to about 20. There's <laughs> just not that, there's just not that way of, of knowing who's bought it and being able to talk to them about the story or whether they liked it or whatever. So um, direct, direct conversation. Whereas on this Kickstarter, it's obviously got a much smaller audience, but I speak to everybody and I know exactly what they think about it and uh, what they want and what characters they like and what they think is going to happen and which bits of the story they particularly were excited by and all that kind of stuff. And it's just a really nice relationship. It's kind of like we had a conversation at a show with Ryan Otley um, from um, the Kirkman book. Invincible. Invincible. And we were like, yeah. dude, this was right when he got to start, when he was doing Spider-Man. And we're like, dude, you're doing Spider-Man. That's awesome. He's like, yeah, you know, it's cool. And I'm like, wow, dude, I thought that would be like a dream gig. You know, he's like, yeah, you know, people are going to buy Spider-Man no matter who's doing it. He's like, well, yeah. you know, that's yeah. my book. Like the fact yeah. that you, you know, he, I told him that I liked Grizzly Shark. And he was like, the fact that you told me that you like that, that's cooler to me because that's my book. Like these characters, I mean, everybody's going to read Batman no matter what, because it's yeah. Batman. So when you, when you get people that are fans of you, Monty yeah. Nero, as opposed to the property, that's got, that's a good feeling. Yeah. Yeah. And also, yeah, you, you, all I want to do whenever I write something is just get better at writing and get better at making the comic and get better at drawing comics and get better at designing characters and just understand it more and, to do that, you've got to be a bit experimental. You can't just do what you what you know works. Um, so I think I've certainly found when I'm doing work for hire for companies, you always do something that you know works, and they tend to always go for ideas because you always pitch six ideas for every idea they pitch. They always go for the <laughs> ideas that are like they're like things that they've seen before. You know, they're things that everyone knows works. They, they, yeah. I've never met any any of those guys that will go for some really experimental bold idea. So um, I can do that in all my, in all my creator own stuff and um, getting it kickstarted initially just means you can explore it and like really take your time to make it all tick perfectly and to get the dynamics of the story and to develop the characters. And it's like a sort of, you know, in the old days when you used to have a TV show and it would come out and the first episode would be okay. And people would go like, man, I'm not sure. And then, you know, it would kind of carry on working on it. And by sort of like episode three or four, it would really start to tick. You don't get that anymore. If the first episode comes out, you know, and it sucks, everyone, you know, 
hates it and the whole thing's kind of screwed before it's over yeah. yeah it's like rats jumping off a ship yeah so it's kind of like uh i find we've created our own stuff um i could just really get deep into the kind of mechanics of it and uh, really tinker with the engine and really you know turbocharge it all and uh get it all uh, get it all perfect so um explore things that i don't know how to do like the reason why i wanted to do Fenim is because i I'd ne i had no idea how to write a book with seven main characters um, it sounds like a lot of main characters a lot yeah. yeah and it's it's um i was really impressed with the way that joss whedon wrote seven characters in the avengers and how the story just was so elegant and clear but you, you, and every character had an arc and they all got intros and they, you know, but it never felt rushed or crowded. It was just a really fantastic bit of writing. Um, and I was just, it's one of those things where you just think, I do not know how to do that. I would not know how to do that. So um, I'm sure I can figure it out. So you sort of sit down and then you write a story and you kind of figure out how does that work? And uh, how do I give everyone space and how do I make sure everyone sounds different from each other when they're talking with the dialogue balloons and but not mm -hmm. make it kind of really mannered and cheesy? All this kind of stuff. It's um, it's really interesting to me. So um, uh, that's why I, that's why I write. I'm always trying to explore some new idea that's got me excited. It's awesome, and it seems like it's going really well. You've mentioned death sentence a couple times during the interview, and it was you said it was the thing that got you your 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 emails from the Marvel editors. Would you like to tell some of the uh, audience what death sentence is? Maybe they haven't heard of it; they could check it out. Yeah, okay. it's good to go back and check out stuff. Death sentence is about a sexually transmitted virus that kills you in six months but gives you superpowers. Oh, oh. Well, that's fun. Yeah, the superpowers kind of are based on how creative you are. So uh, whatever you're best at uh, in the world, that's what you get really good at. And um, the more you kind of create and the more you do, the more powerful you become. And you've got six months to kind of realize whatever ambitions you might have in your life, uh, whatever problems you might want to solve. Uh, you've got six months to sort it out before you die. Um, so it kind of like encapsulates the idea and the pressure that we all feel in our life over like hopefully a span of like you know, 80, 90 years. Um, but it kind of condenses it all into six months and kind of dramatizes it all in a really kind of dramatic action packed way. So, um, yeah, it's, it's a lot of fun to write and to design the characters for There's, um, the main characters and the artist, like a punky female bisexual artist. Uh, there's a comedian in there, like a sort of a movie star comedian, and then there's a rock star who um, is very popular but writes um, quite uh, quite uh, underwhelming tunes, shall we say? So <laughs> so so uh, it kind of like uh, rips the piss out of a lot of uh, celebrity culture and kind of the world around us and stuff. But um, first and foremost, it's just a really kick-ass action story that does um, a lot of stuff that you weren't, you wouldn't be expecting. And I get a lot of interest in that from movie companies and TV companies and stuff. But um, so far, I mean, really big ones as well, like the guys that did uh, the X-Men, you know, um, uh, genre pictures, uh, Kinberg genre, who did the, the X-Men movie. And uh, the guys that did Sin City and um, all these kind of people have been in touch about it. But um, I think, a lot of the problem with that is it's just a big budget production and everybody everybody gets involved with it and it kind of like it has to please everybody and it's not really that kind of it's not really that kind of book it's a very personal kind of dark quirky 
uh, unusual kind of uh, book with a lot of weird characters in it and a lot of uh, funny humour that, I mean, a lot of people find it hilarious, but a lot of people just don't get it or don't realise that it's supposed to be funny. Um, so, so it's not really a mass market thing. So I think a big budget production isn't necessarily the best way to do Death Sentence. I think it would be better off as like a TV series or something where it's kind of like a lot more kind of lo-fi, five minutes in the future kind of thing. So uh, I'm talking to a couple of people at the moment about developing that and I'm kind of working on a screenplay sort of in my spare time on that. That's cool. So um, yeah, we'll have to see how it goes, but it's uh, it's been straight from the off. I mean, I was just thinking like, I'll publish this myself, I'll probably sell a few hundred copies and that'll all be good. But um, straight from the off, it just got wildly popular and it got picked up by Titan, who were like, um, you know, they're a big publisher of books and comics um, and uh, distributed around the world. And then that um, it got it got it got serialized by Mark Miller in one of his kind of like periodicals. And then um, it got uh, all this movie interest and then um, Marvel sort of got 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 in touch after that. That's awesome. And, That's now, awesome and now you're living the dream, my man. That's awesome. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and so you've got a couple more, uh, a couple more days left on this Kickstarter. Go to Kickstarter, uh, look up Frenemies, or you can look up Monty Nero himself, and you'll find it. It's right there. I'll include a link in the um, in the description of the episode. Monty, man, thank you so much for coming on. We had a blast. Thank you for having me. It was a fantastic interview. Cheers, guys. Okay. Thank you. Yes, sir. And uh, bye. We'll talk to you soon. All right, that was Monty Nero. Very impressive, Monty Nero. He is, uh, he's got a Kickstarter right now. You can check that out. Go to kickstarter.com, search Monty Nero, and you can get his book, Frenemies. Uh, sounds cool, man. Cool stuff. Yes. You dig that guy. Nice guy. I always like talking to British people. They're always just more fun to They're talk your favorite to. people. Yeah, so, really I, I mean, I, I love British people as well, but like, I think you enjoy them more because of your love of the football. Yes. So. Yeah, and I didn't ask him about football at all. I, I thought you were going to. Nah, I, I was didn't. I was waiting for it. I was like, nah. he's going to ambush him with what his team is. It's going to happen. What, what's team, what team you support, mate? No, do what club? But nah. I thought you were going to go all, you know, Man City nuts on him, nah, and you I didn't. Know. I didn't. You, didn't. Uh, you know, I'm growing as an interviewer, Kevin. Uh, it's, I'm, I'm impressed, man. I, I mean, I'm glad, because he also has a book called Death Sentence, that if you want to go back and check out Monty Nero's earlier work, you can yeah. go back and check that out. Um, it's the book he was talking about that got him interest from Marvel. So yeah. um, the good thing that you can take away from this interview is that you, you can do your own work and you can get contacted by the big two. Yeah, dude. So there you go. Do the best work you can. Live in the dream. Uh, thank you so much for listening. We'll be back on our regularly scheduled episode of Monday. Who we're speaking with, I have no idea. I, I, I don't either. But we'll get there. We're going to have a mystery guest. It's going to okay. be the question from it DC Comics. It might just be Kevin and I talking to each other. We haven't done that in a long time, and we think that you guys miss it, but you probably don't. Who knows? <laughs> so we will be back on Monday. Thank you so much for listening, and we will talk to you soon. You're listening to the Word Bros Podcast, thewordbros.com. <laughs>